coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances. Matt Trogdon joins the show as we talk about couples and money. Our resident engaged guy takes us through his process. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host Dan Maseka. And once again, we welcome certified financial planner Matt Trogdon to the show. Welcome back. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Great to see you. Dan, how is your week going so far? Other other than the market. Let's not talk about that at all. Well, it's, it's like Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about the market. I mean, we do. Granted, it, this is a personal finance podcast, but I just don't want to talk about it today. And uh, I, I'm, I'm in don't look mode, which I think uh, plenty of folks out there could also be in that mode. I'm in try not to look mode. I've, I've failed myself a couple times. But that aside, uh, the week has been okay. I'm coming off of a non-COVID cold, uh, which I feel like I need to caveat every time someone tells me I sound sick. It's just a podcast, Dan. You're not going to sneeze on anybody from from virtually through the podcast. <laughs> I'll sneeze on my mic. But uh, Saturday over the weekend, I took my daughter to a Cinderella princess party, which was actually kind of fun. I, I used to be weirded out by getting these princess impersonators or any basically any outside party to come to an event until I saw it in action and realized that whoever it is, a clown, a princess so whatever is really just a fun moderator and then the pressure comes off of the parents because you don't need to worry about anything and you let this person just make the kids do activities and games and we all went upstairs to watch college basketball and that's really how it should be for a, for a child's birthday party there you go that sounds like it's a win well today on our show we are getting into i think what is a really critical topic for people and we're talking about couples and money. And Matt, you're joining us as not only a financial planner, but also as our resident engaged financial planner. Yes, I am. We, we wanted your take on this because I feel like you've got a really unique view on combining finances. And you can talk us through your process. Uh, I'm sure Dan and I have some things that we can add and share as well. But uh you know, you're getting married just to to set the record here later this year, correct? Yep, that's correct. I'm getting married in June. Wonderful. So, in this process, how have you all talked about goals, big picture finances? Have do you feel like you have already, as a engaged person, set financial course together? Good question. I'm fortunate in that my fiance Sarah is, I'd say, almost as neurotic about her finances as I am about mine. So we are aligned there. We both have spreadsheets that we use. Our spreadsheets are different. Our spreadsheet system is different, but we both have multiple spreadsheets that we use. And so we're both people that I think are conscientious about what we want to do with our money. And so that is helpful. That makes it 
pretty easy to to at least have these start having these conversations. There's not much tension. There's not much disagreement, and I think I, I'm very fortunate in that regard. So when you say spreadsheet, I I think tracking. Are your spreadsheets forward looking, or are those really a tracking mechanism for for what you've been doing? I have personally, I have some forward looking spreadsheets and some backward looking spreadsheets. I think Sarah's are mostly backward looking, but I I haven't reviewed them that carefully, so I don't know for sure. Got it. And the other thing, and we talked about this on the show, so uh, for folks that haven't heard that episode, you also went through the fun employment period. And I, I guess I'm curious, you know, do you feel like you got some of the we're getting married finances conversations out of the way with that and that there's like less needed right now as you guys are actually kind of starting to combine your finances? Did, did that play a bigger role into it? That's a great question. You know, I, so we've been together for a few years now. And so she has watched me as I've transitioned into this career as a financial planner. And so we've had a lot of conversations about money just coming out of that. She was with me when I was studying for the CFP exam. She was with me when I passed the CFP exam, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a topic that is fairly common for both of us to discuss. We've been living together for a while now. We split the cost of the housing. We split the cost of the utilities. We Venmo each other back and forth, which is a great topic that we should probably get into. So yeah, I would say we've had a taste of it. The moving into fun employment briefly there last summer, that was not something I would not have done without, or excuse me, that's not something I would have done without talking with her about it before. And, and she really assured me a couple of times, like, Hey, you can take some time off away from having a full-time salary. And if we need to depend on my salary for a while, we will be okay. So like I said, very fortunate that we're able to have these conversations as calmly and positively as we are. So going to the Venmoing back and forth thing, I feel like one thing that's different these days than than in the olden days is that a lot of people are waiting to get married and have their own finances established, have developed their own habits, their own accounts and everything like that. Whereas a couple decades ago, and even I got married at 23, you know, we haven't had a, lo- a lot of time to build our own base. So for us, putting everything together into one pot was fairly easy because there wasn't a lot to start with and we just mixed everything and and moved forward from there. But when people are getting married and already have what's theirs and what they've saved, it's interesting to see how many different paths there are to combining two financial pictures into one. And I think a lot of times they don't. They keep it separate and just find ways to work together. And it sounds like maybe that's kind of the way things are starting with you is being collaborative, but still maintaining your own method and process. Yeah, I think I agree with that. We're both coming to this from relatively stable individual financial positions. Both of us have our own strengths. Both of us have our own kind of opportunities for financial improvement. So there's not there's not really a sense of scarcity or anything like that that might make make things tense. Uh, I would say if there's anything, there's a, there's a sense of abundance um, for both of us that makes things easy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one of the tougher things to to negotiate is if somebody's coming in from a very different financial position from their partner. If somebody's bringing a lot of debt into the relationship, if somebody's bringing 
something like poor credit or even um, something like a gambling habit, uh, some, something that's kind of unchecked. Um, you know, not only do I think that those things can be uh, need to be discussed prior to to actually going down that path, uh, but I do think that it it changes the dynamic a little bit. It sounds like, as you said, you're pretty fortunate that um, you guys are kind of on the same page already, and that it sounds like you are operating from a very similar place of of like you said an abundance mentality. But um, but if somebody's coming in with a very different situation, putting your planner hat on. How do you talk through somebody that that uh, you know working with a couple that might be combining finances if they're coming to the the table with a different spot? I think you have to first acknowledge that money is a really weird emotional psychological thing, and that everybody has their own feelings about it. Everybody has their own hangups related to it. Everybody has their own way that they look at it. So. I like if I if I'm working with a couple, I like to lay that out up front. Like, hey, nothing that you guys tell me is going to be something that's so weird that I haven't heard it before. That sounds like a fun challenge, Matt. So I try to set that sort of sense of collaboration at the outset. I, I have a couple I'm working with right now. They just bought a house. They are going through discussion with each other around how much can they each contribute to the house, both the down payment and the monthly payment in order that it both feels equitable and fair for them. And so that's a, that's a great conversation that you love to see couples having with each other. Right. So yeah, I'm always just trying to encourage people to talk with their partners before they come and talk with me to talk with their partners after they come and talk with me. It's really just fostering that communication between the two partners. That is the most important thing. Yeah, there are a lot of awkward conversations as you're trying to merge finances, especially in this engaged period. Uh, I am observing a couple right now who are looking to buy a house, and it's really one of the partners who's bringing all of the financial backing to them, that transaction. Uh, so even though they're going house shopping together, it's his resources that are getting the house. They're not married yet, and they have very different goals about what they want to accomplish in a house purchase. And it's such a strange thing to, you know, to think about like who ultimately has the say if he wants a house and wants to buy the house and it's his money, you know, I I feel like there's an imbalance that people need to work through. And unless you're very prepared to deal with that exact scenario, it can lead to a lot of conflict. Well, I think that's also why it's so critical to have these shared discussions before, because, um, you know, if somebody's using that difference in financial position as a kind of a leverage point in the relationship, that's a real warning sign. And, and money is one of those things that can split a couple up faster than anything else. And so uh, I, I think for couples that are out there and maybe have uh, one partner staying at home versus another or or have very big gaps in their income or resources, not using that as a point of leverage when making a joint decision together, I think is really, really important. Uh, and and so that's certainly one of the things that I look for. And I'm not a therapist or anything like that, but but uh, I would bring that up as a red flag that you know this is something you guys need to be on the same page about prior to making the decision on on a big transaction like that. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned not being a therapist. I like to make that joke a lot with with clients. Like if if we're approaching that line of hey, I'm not sure this is a financial planning discussion. I think this might be 
a couples counseling discussion and that person's office is down the hall. I like using that one a lot, but I do think that a lot of times we we do touch on topics that are very personal and, and very close to that line where you might be veering into into some other type of discussion. And I always find those situations to be very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a pretty intimate thing when you start going through and and really inventorying and talking about hopes and dreams. I mean, that's uh, what money does for us. And um, as as technicians in this field, I think we we like talking about strategy and thinking about balance sheets and all of this technical stuff. But uh, money is simply a tool that is hopefully going to provide people more opportunity and more freedom in their lifestyle, whether that is today or or in the future. And um, that is that's life planning. That's not that's not just finances. So um, let's talk about spending. Do you guys have Matt a is there a threshold that you've talked about where uh, if you're going to spend X dollars, you know, that you might want to call each other first? Or do you currently still manage your spending very independently? I'd say we currently manage our spending pretty independently. I, I don't know if that will necessarily change or not. We have talked about the idea of opening up a shared checking account just to pay for fixed monthly house relate housing and, and food and, and bills and whatnot. And all so you those don't fixed have to keep Venmoing expenses. each other? Exactly, yeah. It, but then we've also talked about, okay, well, in addition to that, how much independence do we want to have over our own stuff? Do we each want our own checking accounts for our own personal spending? Do we each want our own savings accounts for our own personal savings, et cetera, et cetera? So at the moment, yeah, it, it's still f- fairly independent. We haven't really talked about thresholds. We will you know, poke fun at each other all the time over spending decisions, right? But it, it's all in good fun. Once we get married, you know, if we have kids, will things get more sort of serious and thoughtful on that front? Probably, but it hasn't happened quite yet. So my experience there, uh, personally, I didn't want to have visibility into uh, my partner's spending choices on a day-to-day basis. Uh, And really, I came at it from the lens of, I don't care where the money goes. But when I see it, I found myself passing judgment. Uh, and there was like a period of probably three weeks where there was a credit card that was reporting into like my mint.com stuff. And I was seeing things like yoga and was like, well, did you go to yoga this month? Right? Like in my head, that was like my immediate reaction. I was like, I, I didn't see a lot of yoga happening. Why are we paying for see, this? You don't see many. You don't see them much more flexible. You <laughs> yeah. don't see that much more stable. What's yeah. going on? So... so uh, and that's again, like I, I'm not condoning that as my response. That that was the response that I felt myself have, and I was like, no, I don't want to feel that way. Spend whatever you want on whatever you want, as long as we're kind of doing these core blocking and tackling items, and and we're we're doing the things that we shared that we need to do together. Uh, that to me was fine. I didn't want any of the additional detail, and that's really how I approach unless people need specific budgeting advice from me, that's also how I approach working with clients. I don't care where your money goes. I just want to make sure that we're accurate on the spending number so that we can figure out if it's sustainable and, and able to be recreated. Um, and and so I, I, I very much took that same line at, at my personal life. 
I do have the visibility into every dollar and also get those feelings and it's irrational and I wish I didn't. So I would advise everyone to take the approach that Ross did and that sounds like Matt has started as well. And you don't need to see what everyone's doing. It's fine. Have that level of trust. Go do your own thing. If I buy tickets to see Paul McCartney and my wife decides to spend $300 at Blue Mercury, who cares? It's the same thing. As long as we're saving, as long as you're going in the right direction, uh, we don't need to be looking at each other saying, haven't you seen Paul McCartney six times already? He's not getting any better. Stop. Stop it. And can't you buy those same cosmetics at Walmart for like $3? I appreciate you defining what Blue Mercury was. I, d- I didn't even know what that was and, and why $300 would be spent there. I also don't know why $300 would be spent there, but those are the feelings I'm trying to actively suppress. And clearly, I'm sure other people wouldn't spend the money I do going to to live music. I do think it's, a, again, an interesting dynamic. That difference, though, uh, if you've got a partner that isn't earning the same money, right? Is is you know whether or not you treat it as a budgeted spending allowance or or how you split those sorts of expenses up? I think that becomes more important. Um, and again, you know, I, I I think that that's one of the things that is really really critical to get right and to be directionally accurate on as a couple if if you're going to go down the path together. To piggyback on that, I think a lot of it comes back to having a, a shared sense of purchase or excuse me. A shared sense of purpose with your partner. It's an interesting right? Freudian slip there, Matt. Yeah, it's a good one. So we talk about this a lot, right? Like what is the what's the meaning of money in your life or what's the purpose of money in your life? Um, I always try to get people to to say to be able to articulate what they want out of their financial lives when I'm talking to clients. And so it's great when you and your partner can be on the same page in regards to what you think the money is for, right? And if that's not the case, then it's, I think, an area where some tension can grow. It's funny you say that because I'm getting flashbacks to my early days as a planner. I wonder if you went through the same thing where we used to take people up the planning staircase, the money staircase of what is money to you. And you keep bringing it to like next level, next level, next level until you achieve like the highest purpose in the world of like money is freedom, is independence, is like for bettering others. And then you can start planning. That that was something I was taught that sounds very cheesy and I'm pretty sure I've never done it. But you talking about like trying to dig deeper into what the purpose of money is just brought me back to those days of whatever that's, it's like a Maslow staircase for financial planning. I can see that being interesting. It just feels like it's a tough place to start. I feel like I'm too practical of a person to start with the really, really wispy stuff. I tend to get right into the nitty gritty and then kind of build into the wispy stuff and and understand that purpose later in the in the process. Um, but I feel like if you start there, it just sounds like you're selling snake oil. Uh, you know, it just it just feels to me like it's too nebulous of a process, but. Uh, I'm sure other planners are, are are attacking it that way and at least putting that at the top of their process. Yeah, you need to have a certain confidence to go at it right with the greatest purpose of life from money angle. I really enjoy talking to clients about their purpose. I will say that it can be it can be awkward. I, I often find that I We'll have a conversation, then I'll and then at the end of that conversation, I'll be I'll say something to the effect of, "All right, well, sorry for laying that one on you. 
uh, let's get to uh, let's get into some numbers because that's just <laughs> a lot easier to talk about than than what you want out of your your financial life. So, Matt, is there anything that you've seen in your work as a planner, money wise, that you're definitely trying to avoid as you go through this next stage? Um, you know, you, you're in a, a great spot that you've seen a bunch of couples had those discussions around money with them. Sounds like you and your your fiance are already pretty much on the same page, but is there anything that's kind of a third rail issue that you're just trying to make sure you don't step on? I don't think so. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. All right. Well, that that sounds like you guys are already in perfect alignment then, and you're killing it. But you can let us know after the wedding if that's actually true, and uh, hopefully it continues to be for you. I will say that that some of the wedding spending has has led to some fun conversations, right? Like we, you know, we went in, one of the first things we did was we went and bought our wedding rings, ended up spending way too much on that. And I think the first couple of things that we bought before the full picture of how much the wedding was going to cost came into focus, I think we might have overspent on. And so then now that the full picture has come into focus, you know, really wish we could go back and make some of those first decisions again. But, uh, you know, all's well that ends up. Ross, do, do you guys, I mean, have you guys seen stuff with clients recently or, or has anything kind of stuck out in your memory from work with clients where you've thought, man, I hope I avoid that in my own, in my own personal situation? You know, the one thing that uh, comes up a lot for me is... Uh, Number one, trying part of what we've been talking about, just trying to encourage them to attack the process together. Um, I, I think with a lot of folks, you see one spouse that maybe feels more knowledgeable, correctly or incorrectly, and and kind of takes the lead on some of the the decision making. Um, and that's great if there's that level of trust there. But I don't think that anybody should be drifting in to their financial situation, you know, completely unknowing what that direction is. Um, and so, you know, when I've got somebody that's starting with me in a, in a new relationship, I really want them to do some of the data gathering process together because there are elements where it asks um, about things like risk tolerance separately as individuals, not necessarily just for the household. I think that leads to a really powerful conversation because you've got, uh, in many cases, a different tolerance for risk, whether that comes from a different understanding of what the risk means different experiences with uh, the stock market in the past and how it's viewed. Uh, and so I, I think having that conversation separately then to bring it back together uh, is really important. So that's the one thing that I've noticed is just as an area where making sure that you're getting into that alignment phase and that you're getting both partners involved um, is is the number one thing for me uh, that I've hopefully had success with, but but has seemed to really empower the process. The toughest planning conversations I've had are where one partner will try to have individual conversations and think about the yours versus mine thing. If an inheritance is coming up and they want to protect money and be like, well, that was that was for me. And if something were to happen, I just want to make sure that, that I get to keep that. Though you you know that something is headed in the wrong direction when when those conversations come up. I mean, yeah, th- those have definitely been challenging discussions and um I see that a lot often with uh, with second marriages. If you've got kids from a prior marriage, that uh, there's a tendency to maybe want assets to flow to the kids and not necessarily the second spouse. Um, and and so making sure that the spouse is still financially secured uh, in retirement 
if if that loss were to occur. So so things like that, I, I think, are um, again not necessarily red flags, but things that are really really important to take account of from a planning perspective. And those can be collaborative discussions too, because I think that's a very rational thing to want. If if you're in a second marriage and there are kids already around, like you can openly discuss of discuss what is needed to support the spouse, what is needed to support the children or, or what you want to ultimately f- flow through to them. And that shouldn't be a secret because you don't want fighting after the fact. That's the worst scenario. Yeah. Being proactive with all of this stuff is the key. If people are learning uh, after you're gone that you've cut a spouse out of your will, basically, that's that's a really bad situation and uh, could lead to you know all sorts of fighting in the family. And, and that's not what you want happening. Uh, it would be much better just to be clear about your intentions and um, you know, there are insurances and other ways that you can protect uh, both sides. Uh, and so that's one of the things that we just want to account for as part of our planning process, not necessarily um, not learn learn that at the wrong time. I always find that it's a little bit of a red flag or at least a yellow light if I have a client or a prospect who is a married person. And then they say, you know, in that first meeting, they say, Oh well, my my husband or wife or partner or spouse or whoever—they're probably not going to be involved in this. It's probably just going to be me. And so you have to wonder, you know, why isn't that second person going to be involved? You know, are, are they going to be committed to to whatever plan we put in place? Is there going to be some alignment there? So if you're the husband or wife or partner who is not the most proactive one financially. Even just going and sitting in the meeting with your partner can be very helpful, right? Even if you're not talking, even if you're just sitting there quietly. Uh, one of my favorite uh, client couples right now, the husband does most of the talking. Every 10 minutes or so, I'll ask the wife if she wants to chime in. She usually doesn't. Sometimes she does. But it makes me so much uh, more comfortable that she's there because I know that she knows everything that she needs to know. And, and she's getting the same amount of information out of these conversations. I think that might be actually the greatest takeaway of this conversation because naturally some people aren't inclined to be directly involved. They don't want to handle the finances and there's one person who usually steps up to the plate and is comfortable doing it. But even if the one person doesn't want to be the the quarterback, so to speak, I feel like they always just want to be in the know and being a participant, even if it's sitting quietly and just knowing the facts makes people so much more happy and comfortable. And when they do have an opinion, they can chime in. I think I would encourage everyone to do that. Be involved, know the numbers, even if you're not the one acting on them. I think that's great advice and uh, put, puts a nice bow on our conversation. Matt, we appreciate you joining us on the show today. We certainly wish you well as uh, you and your fiance continue down that path of combining your finances to whatever extent that you do. For all of our listeners, if you've got great tips, things that have worked in your relationships that you think we should be sharing with listeners, please let us know. Check your balances at Outlook.com. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will see you next week.